For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. This, where we are in John now, we find the greatest declaration of all time. And no saying of man begins. No other saying. There's nothing you've ever heard human lips say that equates to the glory of this statement. Throughout the history of the church, more people have memorized this piece of Scripture than any other. Entire books are written on just this sentence. And it is enormously rich in meaning. And, and it is hard to plumb its depths sufficiently. So, in this little short time, we'll try. <laughs> but there's a lot of misunderstanding around this statement, this declaration. Starting here, it's only the first part of a commentary that has three sections. First, of course, the declaration itself. And second is the development of that declaration. What does it mean? And then third, the repercussions of the declaration. But you may be asking, why do I call it a commentary? These are comments, a commentary, on the conversation that John just recorded, a written explanation of the conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus, which means, of course, that they are not the conversation itself. They are not words spoken by Jesus, but commentary penned by John. I know, now wait a minute. Some of you are saying, those words are in red in my Bible, so that means they are the words of Jesus. Well, first, in one sense, it doesn't really matter. Uh, every word of Scripture, no matter how it came to the human authors, is inspired, breathed out by the Holy Spirit. It is exactly what God, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit want in the text. And understand that John didn't have a red pen and a black pen. <laughs> he really didn't have two colors of pens. Louis Klopsch was the editor of the Christian Herald magazine way back in the late 1800s. And he thought it would help people to understand Scripture better if he printed what he believed were the words of Christ in red. Mr. Klopsch was, by the way, a dedicated uh, and devoted Christian man. He did a lot of great work for the cause of Christ. But the truth is they didn't use quote marks in ancient Greek. <laughs> so no one can know with absolute certainty where the conversation ends and where the commentary begins. But there are a few reasons we think this was probably written by John and not Jesus' words. First, Jesus rarely uses Son of God himself. Never, in the first three Gospels, never is it recorded that Jesus uses the words Son of God of himself. There is a point where his enemies ask him if he is the Son of God, right, at the end. And he says, you say, which is kind of like, you got it. <laughs> That's what we would have said. <laughs> you got it, yeah. But he never comes out and says it himself directly in those three Gospels. It's not recorded at all. And it doesn't fit the profile of his mission this early. Later, yes, but not early in his work like this conversation was. In John's Gospel, we do see a few times where Jesus does directly call himself Son of God and a few more where other people say it and he acknowledges that truth. But it's almost always with those who already believe or towards the end of his ministry. And then also, when you go back to the words we are considering today, you'll notice a dramatic change in the pronouns from the actual conversation to this section. The main point, though, is that these words are Scripture and we need to understand them. Fortunately, the words are actually easier to understand when we realize what John is doing. That's why I thought it was worth taking this time to talk about it. And 
course, I think it's really interesting. So, <laughs> so you got to know too. Now, let's go on and look at some of the parts of this great declaration. The word only. The Greek word has multiple uses and is very difficult to translate into English. You may have seen it translated only begotten. Uh, and also, one and only. That comes up a lot. The ESV translators, I think they just scratched their heads and finally just gave up and put only son. <laughs> you know, if they had trouble, how are we going to understand this? Well, we can look at how John uses it in other places. Now, the same exact use of only son is found in John 3.16. Of course, is also again in verse 18, which we'll get to shortly. And then back in John 1.14, he used the same thing. We also find the only, though, used in a similar way in these verses penned by John. Earlier in the Gospel, he wrote, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made Him known. Of course, in his first letter, he wrote, In this the love of God has made manifest among us. God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. So clearly, the only points to a uniqueness. Jesus is uniquely the Son of God. No other one like Him. Okay, so we have an idea of what only means. What about believes? What does believes mean? Well, the sentence just before this, where we are sure Jesus is speaking, he said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Now, we spoke about this event back with Moses in Sight Beyond Seeing a few weeks ago. The short version is, because of their sin, God allowed deadly serpents to come into the midst of Israel's camp and, of course, got bit, they started dying. And they recognized their sin and they prayed for God to take the snakes away. And he said, I'm going to take care of you, but not that way. (laughs) So he told them that when you're bitten by a snake, what you have to do is you have to go look at this brass serpent that Moses will make and he'll put it on a tall pole. You go look at that and then you'll be okay. You won't die. Okay, that's, that's a strange solution. I'm just sorry. That's really strange. Why did he do it? Because he knew they still had sin in their hearts. And looking... Going to look meant they showed their trust in God and His Word. They would be saved if they believed in God and did as He requested. So believing means to trust in God and the gift of His Son that though we are bitten by sin, we can look forward to nothing but death. No, instead we can have eternal life because of Him. Okay, so that brings us to our last question about this declaration. What's eternal life? (laughs) We want to know what that means. Well, sometimes it's translated the life to come. It literally means life of the world to come, which I kind of (laughs) like. To Jewish people at that time, life of the world to come meant perfect eternal life with God. That's what they would have heard. That's what they would have expected to be said. They expected there to be an eternal life, so they would have understood it that way. So I think we can be sure that's what John meant. The life of the world to come. I like that. (laughs) That sounds great. This is a great declaration. And there is, when we think about it, there's a significant amount of ancient Jewish literature that talks about God's love for his people. And of course, an immense amount in the Old Testament refers to his love. But no one ever breathed anything like this declaration. Humanity never heard anything like John 3.16 before Jesus. That God loves all the world, all the world enough to send his son. That's why I think in amazement Paul wrote, he who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, 
how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Well, after the declaration, John knows people are going to be scratching their heads and they're going to need some further development of the thought. So he wrote this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. The declarations hope that those who believe in the only Son would not perish but have eternal life is mirrored by the words condemn and saved. Not condemned here. But what John is not saying, what he's not giving us is either or. An either or description of Jesus' job. He's not saying you should not feel condemned because Jesus didn't come to do that. That's not what he's saying. He is saying whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Jesus didn't come to condemn people. They're already condemned. (laughs) He came to save people from being condemned, which is the human condition. We have all been bitten by our own sins and need saving. Does it sound kind of harsh? We might think of it this way. You're driving along a beautiful little country road, 65 miles an hour, enjoying the sights, and all of a sudden this guy pops up on the side of the road pulling a big piece of cardboard on which he has scrawled the words, Bridge out! He's wagging it back and forth and screaming something as you whiz by him. Do you believe him? I mean, it's an outlandish statement. I mean, come on, if the bridge was out, then the government would put up some sign, right? It would be obvious, right? Besides, what if he's a thief? He's just trying to get you to stop so he can steal from you, right? So you blast on. The road goes up this sharp little hill and just before you get to the top, you see off to your left a deep ravine with cliffs forming both sides and a ravine that will clearly bisect the road once you top that little hill which you're right at. (laughs) way before you can stop the car. It's going to bisect the road. Is there a bridge? If the crazy man with the sign was right, you're about to die. You are condemned already because you didn't believe. One man said it this way, you have a destiny of ruin. So let's be blunt. When John says condemned or saved, he is talking about salvation or damnation. But wait, didn't Paul write, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus? Yes, he did. For those who are in Christ Jesus. For those who believe the crazy man with the sign, (laughs) long before the Son became flesh and lived among us, Ezekiel wrote, Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? This is why Jesus waves the sign and he cries out, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Jesus knows what is ahead and he doesn't want anyone to just blast on past him. Judgment, eternal death, is separation from God's grace. Is it better to have eternal life or death? to drive on into eternal shadows. This is why, speaking of the need to pray for all people, especially our leaders, Paul told Timothy, this is good and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. 
God greatly desires that all people believe in the only Son. But He also gave all free moral agency. There are some who will not believe. Those who are not in Christ are those who do not believe and they are already condemned and will be judged. And we should consider this. By what standard will they be judged? By what standard will those who do not believe be judged? And for that matter, how will those who believe be seen to be true, as the verse said? John concludes his commentary with the repercussions of the great declaration, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. Believe in the Son or not. Have eternal life or perish. Be saved or condemned. Live in the light or darkness. Each and every person can live in the shadows or they can walk in the light. Again and again we see that there are two kinds of people. Those who desire to do good and thus walk into the light and those who cling to evil and stay in the shadows. How do you know which is which? Well, it's actually pretty easy. Flip on the light. (laughs) There are those people who love darkness because it hides what they do and what they do shows who they are. 2,000 years ago when the light was flipped on in Christ, it was easy to see how wicked the ruling priests had become. And they didn't like people seeing that. (laughs) The goodwill of Christ is today too great a contrast with the wickedness of all who do not believe for them to be comfortable. How much do we shine out the light of Christ? How many of our works are carried out in God? It's like this. If the light of Christ is an irritant to those who do not and will not believe, and His light is in us, ought we not to be an irritation to them somehow? Light illuminates. And if it illuminates anything that's not purely clear, it also casts shadows. Jesus came to save, but His very coming exposes the condemned nature of non-believers. It shows the darkness of their souls that they walk in the shadows. In speaking to all the Jews, both those who rejected him and those who desired to walk in his light, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. <laughs> We've got to wait a minute here. There's a further repercussion we need to think about. Okay, we come to Jesus, who is the light of the world. But we all come condemned. You know, until we meet Him, we're condemned, right? 
we live in the dark, the shadows, and then we walk into the light that is God the Son, what's he going to see when he sees us? Especially at first. We have to be willing to let God see our sin before we can be forgiven. Our sins are exposed in Christ. But if we willingly walk into his light, that very light burns our sins away. <laughs> I always thought maybe that's why it hurts so much to become a Christian. I don't know, there are times when it's just really hard. <laughs> but it's the only way into the light. The only way to spiritual health. The only way to eternal life. There's only this one way. As our friend Paul the Apostle said, Jesus died for us, therefore if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away, died, okay? Behold, the new has come. No one has to continue to walk in darkness, in the shadows, because Jesus walked all the way through the shadows and conquered them all, including all those we created. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. We can put our faith in Christ because no darkness, not even our own, can overcome this light. Remember our guy with the sign by the side of the road, Bridge out! <laughs> what if instead the sign said, Speed trap ahead! Would you be more likely to believe him? Well, yeah. It's not such an outlandish claim for one thing. And Besides, how much does it cost to slow down a little bit? You know, it's no big deal. But Bridge is out... To believe that costs us everything. We have to stop. We have to turn around. We have to go the other way. Jesus doesn't call us to avoid a speed trap. It's not His goal. The claims of Scripture are outlandish. Here's an example from another guy who heard that conversation with Nicodemus. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done in it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God? because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. This is no speed trap ahead sign. This is serious. This is the bridge is out. God thought it serious enough to send His only Son to let Him die on a cross in our place. If we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Will we walk into the light, confess our sins, 
and trust that he will be both faithful and just to forgive us for those sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness? Or will we stubbornly refuse to come to the light living ever in the shadows? For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Have. Have eternal life. It's in the present tense. We already have eternal life. We own it, but we don't yet have it in our possession. For those of us who believe. This will not always be. (laughs) Jesus made this promise of himself. An hour is coming when all who are in the tombs will hear his voice and come out and those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. There will be a dividing. In this life, you have light and shadows and they can get kind of confusing. But no matter how confusing the light and the shadows can be in this world, there won't be any shadows. (laughs) Those who take part in the resurrection of life, there will be no more shadows because we will live, we will be with the true light who lights the whole world. And He will make us light. That's a promise. That's amazing. But for those in the resurrection of judgment, there will be no light. They have only the shadows. When we talk to people, we have to explain the time to choose is now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for how you cared for us enough to send your Son. We were indeed condemned. Every human on this planet, every human that's ever been in this planet with the exception of Jesus, was condemned. But because of you and because of who you are, you weren't about to let that stand. And so you sent your Son to be a part of our lives by taking our place actually suffer the condemnation that we deserve. There's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus because He took it. And then, the most amazing thing of all, He pours out all that is Him, all the righteousness, all that is the nature of His being true and right and good. He pours that out on us who don't deserve it takes our sins and gives us His righteousness. (laughs) Amazing. Thank you, Father. Thank you for the gift. We thank you, Jesus, for dying for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.